This is The Guardian. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20 plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Uh, hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Marginal gains at Old Trafford, a stirring second-half comeback against title-chasing Aston Villa. Felt a bit like old Manchester United, the Stretford end sucking Rasmus Hoyland's first Premier League goal into the net and all is rosy for now at least. Credit to Rob Edwards for bringing on own goal with a quarter of an hour left at Bramall Lane, helping Luton to all three points without a shot on target after going 2-1 down. A win for Forrest as Chris Wood turns into R9 Ronaldo for a little bit, sitting defenders down on his way to a hat-trick at St James's Park. As for Newcastle, if this is what happens when a team finally gets tired, cannot wait to see Croatia's capitulation at some point in the next 25 years. Liverpool go top again with victory over spirited Burnley, while Sid is going to become unbearable if Bournemouth keep winning like this. Chuck in Chelsea's Christmas Eve defeat to Wolves. Your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Barry Glendenning, welcome. Good morning. Hello, Paul McInnes. Good morning. Hello, Lars Sivertson. Good morning, Max. Uh, right, let's start Old Trafford then. Manchester United 3, Aston Villa 2. I mean, it's a huge win for Manchester United. It's their first victory over anyone, I think, in the top half of the Premier League. Um, at half-time, Barry, did you see that coming? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> I was doing the minute-by-minute minute report of this game and I didn't see a way back for them and... The game was on Amazon Prime and Patrice Everett was one of the pundits and he was actually talking them up and saying they were playing pretty well and he could see them coming back to win the game and I thought he was absolutely insane, just Patrice Everett saying Patrice Everett things, but he was actually right. I wouldn't necessarily agree they played particularly well in the first half and they kept getting caught out by Aston Villa's famously high line. They were caught offside six times in the first half alone uh, our our friend Nick Harris uh, put out a nice tweet because David Brailsford obviously was at the game and the camera kept cutting to him in the stand uh, for anyone who may not know he's the former chief of uh, Team Sky Cycling and, and he, now known as Ineos uh, owned by Sir Jim Ratcliffe and, and Nick tweeted that uh, Manchester United look in dire need of some asthma inhalers, skin creams, bespoke pillows, maybe even a 
triamcinone shot or some TUE cleared uh, prednisolone and obviously some marginal gains. Where on earth are they going to find that? But they did find them. Well, at least they found the the marginal gains uh, and, and came back to win. And now that they've played one good 45-minute period of football in about three months, we're all obliged to say that they're back <laughs> and, <laughs> and move along. There's no problems at, uh, to see at Old Trafford. Everything is fine. It was, Lars, a wonderful moment when Rasmus Hoyland... The, the weird thing about it was, it's got to the stage now, I never thought this would happen, that I was actually supporting Manchester United as like the plucky underdogs. I was like, I was desperate for them to do something. For anyone who sort of formative years had Man United winning everything, that felt so strange. But like, I could sense it as I was watching it. I was just going, God, I hope they do this. I was not. I mean, I think I'm just more committed to my childhood than you are i don't know you <laughs> maybe. maybe you're more like you're more a live and let live kind of guy max i uh, i don't forget uh but uh <laughs> I, I they deserve a lot of credit obviously and they were i thought they were i, I, I like barry was slightly puzzled by the positive diag- diagnosis from Patrice ever i thought they were more aggressive in the second half and i mean the, the first goal certainly came from a from a high turnover of the manner they weren't quite creating in in the first half you know that they seemed to be pressing a little bit more efficiently. I think Garnacho was, was tremendous. And as we've seen this season, Garnacho is not always flawless, but I think he has. There's an endeavor to him. There's a bravery to him. He doesn't seem phased by the fact that he's playing his sort of, you know, he, he's a very young man playing a lot of football for a crisis-stricken Man United. And that doesn't seem to weigh on him at all in the way that it seems to weigh on quite a lot of other guys in, in that team. So he's, he's always full of invention and full of, you know, uh, full, full of things. And no, it was a much, much better performance. And with the Highland thing, you know, I'm, the, the goals were always going to come for him because he's he's getting into the right areas. He's doing so many of the right things. And again, he's a guy who's 20 years old who's having to sort of find his way in a pretty dysfunctional Man United team. But of course, just psychologically, just getting the first one and for that to be a winner in a comeback win that was really, really important to them is obviously just a huge lift for him. And um, it's, uh, it's very, very positive. I mean, I, I find it hard to sort of go, well, Man United are fine now. I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's clear that they needed some... There's a lot of players, and particularly quite a lot of young players in that group, who I think needed something positive to happen. <laughs> they needed to have that feeling of going off the pitch and in a big, important game, feeling great about themselves. and that That's really valuable. I think the psychology of this stuff really matters. Yeah. I mean, he did seem quite pleased, uh, Paul, didn't he, Hyland, <laughs> in that moment? Yeah, that was a, that was a text... Ketzbaya-esque intensity, wasn't it, of celebration? Uh, listening to what Lars is saying there about Garnacho, I think that's fair. And, you know, uh, watching Hoyland celebrate his goal gave me a similar sort of vibe. He was celebrating the release of the tension, but he was also saying, I am the guy, he kept on pointing at himself and going, rah, 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 which I, interpreting Scandinavian beast, I understood to be, I am the guy who can do this for you. I am the guy who will score more goals. And, you know, if that's the sort of cathartic experience he has from that, then that's really good. I mean, I, I per- personally think that as much as, you know, United will be happy, I think you'll be really disappointed if you're Aston Villa, not just because you did appear to be in quite, uh, maybe sort of the last five, ten minutes of the first half, United had a bit more in the game, but they did appear to be keeping them at arm's length uh, in charge. And then, 
you know, just couldn't replicate that intensity second half. United up theirs and and the, the tide of the game just moved away from them. And when you are producing a sort of a Cinderella-style title challenge, it's these sorts of results, I think, that will make you, might make you ask questions of yourself as to whether you are cut out for it or not. And I think you saw the limits of the Villa squad a little bit in that game too. But not to put too much of a dampener on it, it was an exciting last half an hour of the game for sure. There were just a few moments, yeah, with Villa that you just, they were keeping this high line, but they weren't able to keep the intensity and pressing on the on the players in possession. And when you do, you know, you, you want to keep the high line, but then you also have to not leave opponents alone to pick passes. Uh, if you do one and not the other, then you're going to be in trouble. And I thought the the sort of turnovers they gave away for, for the two goals, if I recall correctly, and there were a couple of other ones as well where they were much sloppier in possession than we're used to seeing them. And they kind of gave United chances to to, to get back in. And I'm not taking anything away from Man United, but that, that second half I thought was a little bit uncharacteristic for for Villa. I guess it's a sort of boring go-to catch-all excuse for teams at this time of the year. Maybe they're tired. I mean, he hasn't rotated a lot in Emery. It could be the energy levels have dropped a little bit, but th- that was very uncharacteristic. I, I'd be interested to know what prompted the turnaround Eric Ten Hag, in his very, very long interview after the game, it was quite interesting, actually, all the Manchester United, everyone connected with Manchester United was more than willing to spend as long as was necessary, you know, doing their post-match interviews. Bruno Fernandes spoke to Amazon for must have been near 15 minutes, you know. He's not usually that quick to front up, despite being the captain. And... (laughs) His, his answers tend to be a little more monosyllabic when they haven't won. But I, I, I would be curious to know what prompted this pretty remarkable turnaround because was it just shame or a rallying address from or slash bollocking from Eric Chin Hag? He did say after the game that he had told him, you know, that despite conceding that the two sloppy goals from set pieces, they were doing okay. And I suppose they were, apart from the fact that they kept getting caught offside. And just to keep plugging away, and if they got the first goal in the second half, that they'd be all right. You know, we'd see what happens after that. And they did get the first goal. Uh, Unfortunately, it was disallowed for another offside. And when they got the, the one that counted, pulled one back, Garnacho's first, Villa went very close to scoring almost immediately. And I think if that Villa goal had gone in from uh, Leon Bailey, who got... Yeah, Alex Moreno came on. The, the disallowed Manchester United goal, Luca Dean pulled a hamstring or tore something while stretching to try and keep it out. And he was replaced by Alex Moreno, who, who was really good for Villa in that second half. Hmm. I mean, that you're right. I think at 2-1, Anana made a pretty good save. And we should probably reference a good save from Anana because we reference everything else that he does. And Johnny Evans at 2-2 makes a brilliant goal line clearance. And that, you know, those things do change how we discuss the game. But look, Manchester United won. The tweets at halftime were quite different. Schwitzy said, do you think Jim Ratcliffe will be pouring his own cleaning products into his eyes after that shit show? Tom says, too early for Ineos out. Burton, villain, when will Villa be taken seriously for once? Don't really need answering, do they, after that? second half um you always get this with teams who are surprising people by doing really well that there's a load of villa have got nothing but praise like across the board from everyone this season but i have noticed there are quite a few villa fans 
on social media and and that uh message is is a, a case in point of that oh we're we're not getting enough praise it doesn't suit the narrative to praise villa and uh God, it's, it's quite funny but. yeah that football clubs are funny things to take seriously, aren't they? I mean, football's such a ridiculous thing, and the way that the way that, like you can't take Manchester United seriously, can you? Like, but you don't. But they're not. It's not a joke of a thing. It is a real thing with people who are employed. It's just a funny turn of phrase that you know people are desperate for, but they also want to go under the radar. So you you actually can't win. And um, Paul, what what do you make of Big Sir Jim's twenty five percent? Takeover. We had a, an interesting question saying, you know, it, from Alan saying, in simple terms, is Sir Jim Ratcliffe basically paying to become the outsourced football department of Manchester United PLC? Um, yeah, I think that's an interesting point. I just saw on the internet just now is that apparently it's twenty nine percent. Okay. That um, Ineos have got so that it's getting it's getting bigger every day. I, th- I think the interesting thing is how this. I'm pretty confident there will ultimately be a clash between the Ineos team and the Glazer team as to on something, presumably around strategy, but maybe on spending of in certain areas within the club. I don't know. But there will at some point be some tension. I am confident of this. And what intrigues me is how both parties, who are very successful in the world of business, you can't take that away from them, even if you don't like them, how they kind of are, are going to play that. Who's going to be more devious ruthless in this little scrap because at the end of it you know there will be a new outright owner of the potentially a new outright owner of the club and I think Glazers see this as being some you know first step towards kind of moving away but there's obviously something they haven't got from it yet that they want before they'll go so I think it's all intriguing I just feel like there's clearly been some logjam in the process for United in terms of recruitment that they haven't got the right system. They haven't got something that allows people to concentrate on developing the squad without interference from financial side, ownership side. So if Ineos can deliver that, then it will be helpful for Manchester United and obviously a very good PR boost for that side of things. Um, And I imagine that's what they'll kind of concentrate on in the short to medium term. Hmm. Yeah, actually, Barney made a, a similar point to the one you're making in the paper saying, you know, these are sort of ruthless billionaires. There's not a sort of after you, Claude, uh, sort of vibe. To, 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 there aren't that many billionaires who are like that going, actually, I think your idea is really good. Like, But what we, I guess what we don't know is what will that moment be? And will it be a, you know, a, like a sanctioning for a player or yeah, some bigger strategic thing? It will be interesting to see. Anyway. To Bramall Lane, Sheffield United 2, Luton 3. Chris, his own goal is pretty good, isn't he, Barry? Sheffield United came back from 1-0 uh, down to go 2-1 up before Luton came back with two own goals uh, in the last 13 minutes of the game. Lars, what, I mean, what a way to lose a football match. Just like, especially that that second own goal, the way it sort of looped in. You're like, there's just so little chance of that ball ending up in the back of the net. And yet it does. I did admire Chris Wilder's dedication to the tell it like it is proper hard man bit by not really acknowledging that they'd had any poor fortune here. This is all our own fault, uh, which is the kind of attitude we do want to see from managers. You know, nobody likes managers who make excuses, but I do think in this case, 
it's okay to acknowledge that there was some poor fortune involved. I mean, he, he wasn't wrong. They maybe got sucked in and were a bit too deep for the first own goal, but the second own goal is a completely ludicrous fluke. I mean, that, that's clearly not that's not their fault whatsoever. I mean, that, that that's a, a shot that hits the defender and spins off in a truly absurd direction and, and goes in. I mean, it's the kind of thing that that can happen. But I also think Luton were kind of do something like this because all season... Uh, Luton have been very, very competitive in games. They've very rarely gotten tonked. I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they have a a lot of one-goal defeats. There's so many games in which they've managed to hang with, um, you know, far more expensively assembled assembled squads and been competitive and been right there, but things have just kind of just about broken against them. And I do think after a certain period of time, you, you, you do something breaking for you for once. And I, I think what Luton are doing in, in terms of being competitive in this league is, is incredibly impressive. Yeah, Rob Edwards said, maybe we've had a bit of luck. Chris Wilder said, it ain't unlucky and we've chucked it. Um, <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great quote. And you're right, with reference to the first one, when they did drop drop deeper. Uh, but Baz, you know, it is, it's, a, it's such an enormous... I mean, it feels like the first real six-pointer of this season, doesn't it? And Sheffield United, you've sensed that if they'd held on to that 2-1, well, it gets really tight at the bottom, but now they're sort of cut adrift. Yeah, I think there are the seven points adrift of safety, six or seven, and I can't see them getting out of the pickle because I just don't think their players are good enough unless they spend a load of money in January, even that might not work. And it seems quite unlikely given their owners didn't show any interest in signing players in the summer and in fact got rid of a couple of their best ones. Uh, I was very impressed with Luton in this, but they're, they're a very impressive team because, you know, they're obviously not that great, probably punching above their weight, but they really do play for their manager and um, I don't know if it was through accident or design. I, probably accident. Isakabora was out injured, so Alfie Doughty moved to the right wing. Ryan Giles was on the left, and Doughty just wreaked havoc throughout the first half in particular and, and got a goal as well. Wes Fotheringham in goal in, for Sheffield United. He's had a few good performances, but he, he does look like a very weak link in that team. Yeah, no, I just, I was lucky enough to see Luton just before Christmas and the Newcastle win. And I, I just think that I don't know what the secret sauce is. And it's the sort of thing that I, you know, I do wish it could be in the dressing room now and again to understand, you know, a general approach of a club like Luton. But I, I, I think I understand some of what they're trying to do. And, and, and I do think they've made a, in terms of their recruitment and the way they play seasons ago, made this decision that, you know, athleticism, high physical capability is something that's going to be a top priority for their players. And then, you know, the trade-off when you're doing that is that you're not necessarily always going to get the same amount of technical level in the players. And so how do you create a team which gets the most of their strengths and minimises the weaknesses? You know, what they've done with Luton, what Edwards has done with Luton is just so impressive because these players, they play fast, slick football that you need to be able to Use your control, use your body well, distribute well, very quickly in order to keep the show on the road. Particularly when I'm watching against the, the the Newcastle, they did that. And just by doing that, they kept their opponents under pressure. They always had to be thinking about what Luton were going to do. And that sort of changes the way in which you can go about the game. 
and which is why I think you can end up in a situation where Wilder is right in that just sort of mentally you end up taking half a step backwards. You end up trying to be a little bit more cohesive because you don't want to give up that that space. You don't want to give up those chances. And then, you know, after all, you're at the end of that, you're at a situation where Luton can take pot shots from the edge of the box and see what they might get from, from deflections. I think they're really well organised, but also kind of know how to get the best out of all their players. And I think that's really important. Yeah, yeah, just to add to that, they do have, I believe, the lowest amount of possession in the league and something like the second lowest pass completion. Because they, again, they haven't, if they have an any advantage, it's in it's in physicality and in the effort that they put in. So they, they, they play quite direct. But it's rarely, whenever I see them, there's not a lot of mindless hoofing. It's more mindful hoofing. You know, they're quite good at, uh, at, at playing it direct, but getting it into areas where they have players who can compete for the second ball and, 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 and can, and, do something like that and i just want to flag up like ross, ross barkley is playing really well for them and i've, I've been a, i've always been a ross barkley skeptic I've, no, I've never really seen the hype with him and and thought when they spent some of their precious budget bringing him in thinking really but no he's he's been terrific in terms of adding what you mentioned paul just a little bit of skill to that midfield uh, i think he's made a big difference for them and actually it's quite an interesting comparison with burnley who had andros townsend on trial and decided actually we won't offer you a contract. It's not what our uh, strategy is. We want to buy young. And, you know, Luton, who have brought in these two sort of old stages, you know, who obviously have physicality as well, but have experience and talent, which could be the difference between Luton staying up and Burnley going down. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to that. I love Sheffield United's second goal because it was proper League Two. It was like so many. I mean, I don't know how many times you thought, well, that is in. No, it's not. Yeah, it is just bodies on the floor. It was tremendous. Uh, Paul, you wanted to jump in. No, I just a little addenda to what you're saying there, because they've also got Nathan Redburn, but they never bring him off the bench at Burnley. Now, he's not in there using that experience on the, on the field very often. So, where you can, like you say, you can see that with Barkley. Yeah, I think he came on for two minutes against Liverpool, didn't he? Uh, uh, Luton have confirmed South Yorkshire police are investigating an alleged racist comment towards Carlton Morris uh, during the game. Uh, we can confirm um, Carlton Morris reported an alleged racist comment from the crowd during the South Premier League fixture at Bramall Lane. This is a club statement. Carlton reported it to match officials in line with Premier League protocols. The matter was dealt with immediately by both Sheffield United and South Yorkshire police who are currently investigating. Luton Town will offer Carlton and any other players suffering abuse our full support. would like to reiterate we take a zero tolerant stance against all forms of discrimination whether in person or online we'd like to thank both Sheffield United officials and the police for their swift actions in dealing with today's incident um, um, we mentioned the other day this this game is ref by Sam Allison uh, who became the first black referee to officiate a Premier League match in uh, 15 years which is a staggering amount of time since uh, Uriah Rennie uh, uh, took charge of a game in, in 2008 I think it was it was only one moment I mean it's, it's not a huge moment but um, I think Luton's equaliser came from a corner that wasn't a corner. And it's one of those weird things with VAR where you can see it so quickly. And so you think, well, we spend hours, you know, watching handballs back and forth. Should we, should we not just get someone doesn't even need to just need someone to say to the fourth official, Hey, that's Uh, actually not a corner. uh, No, uh, this is where it starts. (laughs) And you have VAR. But it's already started. It's already a VAR check on every corner. Are you insane? No, I mean, I don't know if it's obvious. You could just tell the fourth official, actually, that's wrong. And, you know, that's fine. It wouldn't, you know, wouldn't take that long, would it? It'll all be done in six seconds. It won't take five hours. And, <laughs> <laughs> basically, run. I'll be like question. Glastonbury. 
Yeah, I was just asking the question. It was not a view that I hold. We have answered the question. Sounded like an endorsement to me. Thank you so much uh, for answering that question so quickly. Um, All right, that'll do for part one. Part two will start at St. James's Park. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Chris says, at what point in the process of scoring a hat-trick against your former club do you start to celebrate? Luke, is it time to put some respect on Chris Wood? Yeah, hat-trick for the former Newcastle player. Three uh, well-taken goals. The first was quite easy. The second were excellent. Uh, Chris Wood said it was, quote, a bit harsh when the interviewer after the game described the second goal as (laughs) not a trademark Chris Wood finish. Feels entirely entirely accurate to me, Baz. I mean, such quick feet. Maybe because it was against Dan Byrne. So, like, even Chris Wood's feet look quick when he's up against someone who's six foot seven. But I was... When he got the ball, I thought, well, he... That that isn't a, going to be a goal, and it was it was brilliant, and the third as well. Well, I mean, if someone um, had told me before this game that Chris Wood would score a hat trick, and none of them would be headers, I'd have, I'd have you know been calling the men in white coats, no chance. But I mean, yeah, the first one was pretty straightforward, although you know the way he went one way and then another to create the space to get in the cross should have had four actually. Because Antti Langa failed to cross the ball or square the ball for him when he was in acres of space with a gaping goal in front of him. Uh, but the, the second goal and the third, I mean the second in particular, unbelievable. If anyone scored, you know, scored that, you would say, yeah, that's, that is a fantastic finish. But for this man, many have dismissed as a kind of lumbering oaf who's only good for holding the ball up and scoring with his head. To, to, to that drag and finish, just sensational. And, um, yeah, the the performative non-performance of refusing to celebrate was slightly ridiculous considering I think he's you know played about 30-odd games for Newcastle and they couldn't get rid of him quick enough uh, <laughs> once he'd served his function. Um, what was quite amusing, but he must have been absolutely thrilled to bits. Uh, it was an incredible performance by by him and by Forrest, and Newcastle really are having a tough time of it at the moment. And they've they've got some. Uh, I think it's Liverpool next, Sunderland, then Man City, then Villa. So not easy. Just on Chris Woodlars. I suppose it is a sign that all these players that we occasionally dismiss or we laugh at, they're all really quite good at this game, aren't they? 
Yeah, no, if, you, if you're contracted to a Premier League club, <laughs> odds are you're pretty good at this stuff. I just thought it was baffling to see, again, no disrespect to Wood, um, but, but just your Newcastle being countered on repeatedly by a team that has, you know, 30-something-year-old Chris Wood leading the line. I thought that was a confusing thing to see. And, and you're right about his... I mean, I think, you know, yeah, again, he, he should have celebrated. I mean, I, I looked at this... He made 37 appearances for Newcastle, of which 19, 19 were starts. But he only actually scored four goals and just one at St. James's Park. So, I mean, he trebled his entire total at St. James's Park in this game, which I guess, given that he used to play for the home team, is sort of not ideal uh, for, for, for a forward. It's not really what you want. But, no, it's tremendous. And um, are we getting to... I mean, I guess maybe I'm stealing your next question, Max, but are we getting to the point where we're a little bit worried about Newcastle? Because I've, I've been doing this slightly complacent thing of just thinking, well, they've got a bunch of injuries, they're a bit tired, it'll probably be fine. But, but this result is sort of thing that makes me think, what if they're actually a bit bad? Like, this is this this is kind of like, I, I'm not as keen to write this off as some of the other Newcastle reversals we've had in recent uh, weeks. Um, Paul, you could answer that question. It's six defeats in seven in all competitions. And yes, I mean, we've, we've talked about their injuries for a long time and how tired they are. There were a, there were a few boos, actually, at full time uh, at, at St. James's Park yesterday. Oh, yeah, well, that doesn't go with the narrative. Um, no. I, yeah, I, I feel that no other club would be able to get away with saying, oh, we're tired. Well, that, whether I, I doubt Eddie, Eddie Howe is not saying that. Eddie Howe is saying no excuses. But the narrative around the club is that they're tired. They've you know, made such a heroic effort to play a few... Champions League group games and not do particularly well. Um, so there's an there's a unusual amount of sympathy for this club, which I don't quite get at the minute. I, I think looking at them, they're a bit ordinary. I think that would be my concern. That the tiredness, the fatigue has sort of revealed the kind of the average level of the squad, which is not that good. And I think particularly in midfield, they're lacking creativity. They're lacking ability to, to join things up. Bruno Guimaraes is obviously the guy for that, but I don't think he's in great form right now. I think they need him back to sort of help knit that together. Some of the injuries are coming back and maybe that will uh, uh, hit, the, hit the level again. And I'm sure when we're talking about concern for them, I, I, I don't, you know, they will be challenging for Europe come the end of the season. But I don't think they are really, at this moment in time, frightening teams. I, I think their most impressive performances over the past few months have been those defensive-minded performances like we saw in the Champions League. Yeah, I suppose that they... Um, this is different because it was a home defeat. You know, Richard Jolly's stat here, you know, it's still the case Newcastle's only home defeats under Eddie Howe have come to clubs who have played in the final of either the European Cup, Liverpool, Arsenal, Man City, AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund, Nottingham Forest, or the Cambridgeshire Invitation Cup, Cambridge United. But, you know, their home form has been brilliant, Lars, and their away form has, has not been great. And that this, is, this, is, this was at their place. Yeah, that's the thing that, again, confuses me. It was at home against a famously poor away team. I mean, Forrest usually don't travel well at all. And you can point to little things, like they flagged up on Match of the Day last night that they had Dan Byrne up against Anthony Langer, which is like, in terms of, it's a bit of a mismatch. Like, you have fullbacks that are not named Dan Byrne and that you can put into there to maybe deal with the Langer speed a little bit. But I was just thinking... We all have, we all know what a good Newcastle, Eddie Howe Newcastle performance looked like. We, we've seen it. It's 100 miles an hour, you know, a lot of pressing, like attacking, counterattacking with a lot of people, all this sort of stuff. 
I think we can all understand them, but they've got basically an entire 11 out injured and have had for weeks that the ones who've not been able to rotate have had to play every game. They maybe don't have the energy to play that kind of performance every three days now. I think we can understand that. But surely then, if you're aspiring to be one of the top clubs in the league, is it not fair to ask, well, can you play in a different way? Can you actually put your foot on the ball? Can you take some of the sting out of the game? Can you keep possession a little bit better? Can you find other ways of getting past your opponents than, than having to play this sort of transitional, uh, counter-attacking, energetic type of thing that maybe you don't have the energy to do all the time. I think that they have they keep the ball less well than the other top teams they're aspiring to compete with Newcastle, and maybe that is a valid criticism, I think. I wouldn't worry about Newcastle. I mean, they will be fine. They're the richest football club on the planet, and if Eddie Howe doesn't turn things around, he'll get sacked and they'll get someone else in and they'll buy a quicker full back than Dan Byrne. You know, he got monstered yesterday and making the excuse that, oh, our, our players are tired and we, we only have 11 to, to play in every game. I mean, what Tino Livramento was on the bench yesterday. Why wasn't he brought on at half time at least if you weren't going to start him when it was quite obvious that Dan Byrne was just you know being absolutely torn apart by uh langa but yeah i I mean i wouldn't worry about you of course they'll be fine it is only a matter of time before they start winning things i think just the longer it goes without them winning something that that's kind of all we have to cling to isn't it um for forest though you know nuno has you know showed signs he was unlucky in that first game when willie bolly was sent off so early paul and then look he it is one game of course but like you say, to make a side that looked like an elite counter-attacking unit with Chris Wood doing the at the top of that, albeit with some pace around him with Alanga, Gibbs White, and Hudson Odoi, you know, you you look at that and you say, well, this is this is a good manager bounce for for however long it will last. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I, th- I think what this reminded you know you got to remember that his Wolves teams were really good. I mean, they may not have been thrill a minute. Uh, and they weren't possession-based, they were a counter-attacking team. But when they countered, boy, did they counter. They were they were rapier-like and brought some, you know, really interesting talents into the vision. So I, I, I thought it was striking when you saw the lineups yesterday that Hudson-Odoi and Alanga were both playing away from home. Because off the ball, they're not, you know, there's ways you could hedge that, you could, you could pull... pull uh, you could play with three in the middle. You could pull Gibbs White out into one of the wide wide places and sort of be a bit more conservative. He didn't do that. And what you ended up seeing was just those, you know, Alanga in particular, but hudson Adoy as well, just pouring into acres of space, particularly in that second half. And that was the right tactical setup for, for this situation. He knows how to execute it well. He's got those sorts of players who can help. I think... Um, you know, Chris Chris Wood is the sort of player who will actually benefit, I think, from having two inside forwards who want to go beyond him because it, it it's not simply he's got to stand up there and find a find a head for the for the cross. You know, there's there's a bit more uncertainty there, and uh, and he will probably benefit from that. But you know, I think Nuno's got something to restore in terms of his reputation because Spurs didn't do very well. But I, I think, you know, his Wolves were a good team. You know, they got they qualified for Europe through the league position. You know, they're, they're a good side. 
to Turf Moor then, Burnley nil, Liverpool 2. Um, pretty straightforward victory for Liverpool, Lars. Nice goal from Darwin Nunes. His first goal at club level from outside the box since the 15th of December 2021 when he was playing for Benfica. And a goal for Diogo Jota later on. Burnley had a little spell, didn't they, when they could have got somewhere. But Liverpool go back to the top of the league all quite quietly. Yeah, I mean... It, but I feel like Burnley have that spell in every game. Like they 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 rarely go through ninety minutes without at one point looking like oh this this team looks pretty good. But then it's it's hard for them to actually get the results. And I guess against Liverpool, it'd be harsh to blame them too much. Uh, young, young Trafford in goal. He's quite young, isn't he? James Trafford, I believe he he looks quite young. Yes, had a very yes. good game. And yeah, with a with a different goalkeeper, I think the score could have been different here as well. And it was just one of those where yeah, good win for Liverpool three points and Burnley will get their points elsewhere. So not a ton of talking points here, I didn't think, Max. Mm. I mean, I suppose that the talking point, um, or one of the talking points, Barry, is the the disallowed goal from Harvey Elliott, no. where Mo Salah was pushed into an offside position. And a lot of uh, you know Liverpool PGMOLs, conspiracists, um, saying this is another example of, of the fact that, you know, somebody doesn't want them to win the league. But it's quite interesting. You know, you're still offside if you're pushed offside, right? Yeah. And obviously, you, you, so you don't, but you don't want the foul to be given. Obviously, a penalty is fine, but you want the goal to be given. But you can't give the goal because you're offside, even though someone's pushed you there. It's also an eye line disruption thing as well. It's not like he's actually touched the ball, is it? It's that he's yeah. breaking up the line of sight of the keeper. He was in the eye line of James Trafford. Yeah. And actually, there's another thing with that, Paul, isn't it? The keeper's not saving that. No, like no goalkeeper's saving no. that shot. So I wonder no. if that subjectiveness should come into an eye line call. Like, fine, he was slightly in the way of James Trafford. But James Trafford, you know, I don't know how many James Traffords you would need to have saved yeah, I, that because it was, it was, there's just no saving it. You know they've got that 3D rendering of the graphic as to where handball starts. So they show you the the Premier League badge Mm. and beneath that part of the armpit, it's handball. They should maybe have a sort of similar graphic for obscuring of vision. So like when you go into the opticians and they put certain things in front of your eyes, can you see that now? Can you see the Harvey Elliott humdinger coming at you now? Can you see it now? Can you see it now? And then then a frame of reference for future. Yeah, but the, the problem with that, Paul, is that that's one of the things I hate doing most in life, going <laughs> to the optician and then they're switching the lenses around. And you go, is that better or worse? And you go, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and then you can see the optician getting visibly irritated. So then you just make a decision whether, you know, yeah, that's better. Just, just to end this awkward <laughs> just experience. Get off my back. Are you saying, Barry, you haven't, you haven't been able to see for the last twenty years? Then you end up with a pair of spectacles that aren't as helpful as they should be, purely <laughs> because out of politeness, because you didn't want to <laughs> upset the optician. <laughs> and I go, oh, yeah, I, 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 I generally go to a, a well-known, you know, high street opticians who may or may not have sponsorship deal with Premier League referees. And, um, yeah, they, they're very much a get them in, get it over with, get them out, you know, volume, turn, high turnover of customers. Right. So they can get very impatient and cranky if you can't tell 
There's no love at Specsavers. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, Robin says, don't mention, all in capitals, don't mention Paul Tierney on your Liverpool-hating pod, please. <laughs> um, they also had a goal ruled out for a push uh, in the first half. I mean, this was a very straightforward win for Liverpool. They, they, they did make heavy weather of it, you know, and in the final minutes, Jakob Brun-Larsen could have, probably should have scored an equaliser for Burnley. And bad decision-making in the final third is something that's been a problem for Liverpool in a few recent games, and I think it was a problem last night as well. But it was an incredibly one-sided game. Yeah, having previously kind of dealt myself out of this game, I'm going to deal myself back in and say <laughs> that do. I do think it makes a... You can rebuy. I think, you can have a rebuy now. Yeah, 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 I'm going straight back in. I do think it could make a difference for Liverpool going forward to have Diogo Jota back because he has a kind of efficiency. You know, he's less flashy in some ways than uh, Diaz. He doesn't go past people in the same way. But but he is very good at just guess, ghosting into the box and getting finding space in the box, and he's a good finisher. So he is a, a bit of an unconventional winger in that sense. But I think the the thing Barry just flagged up, they have been a little bit profligate in the area sometimes, Liverpool this season. That's definitely true. And uh, I think having him back would, would make a difference there. Uh, Josh says, what would it take for Vincent Company to compromise their footballing identity? When do they try their difficult second album? I thought, actually, Paul, they went, they did go a little bit more direct in the second half. I thought maybe we saw glimpses of a uh, can we not knock it from Burnley. Yeah. Yeah. And, and quite often to find that guy, that kid Oderbear on the left, yeah. who looks like he can go either way. Very intriguing player. Um, yeah. I, I just, I just think when I hear him talking about that and thinking of Rob Edwards at the same time and thinking that their, 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 their style of play is established the way they're going about it, they're enacting it on the field. Now, that is not necessarily getting them the results they always want, but they have a plan and they're enacting it. And the fact that Burnley aren't currently able to do that halfway through the season makes me think this is not something that's about to go come around and click in a minute. And that, yeah, I mean, Daniel Farker said before, it's the teams that come up to the Premier League who've blazed the trail through the Championship often find it harder because it's the keeping that back door closed is is a, a lot more challenging in the top flight and that's that's what you know Burnley's still struggling with maybe 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 distributing quicker will change that but I think it's like what do you do when you don't have the ball that's the issue oh yeah first side in English top flight history to lose as many as nine of their opening 10 home games of a season not a tough place to go an easy place to go literally currently uh, Burnley and that'll do for part two part three we'll begin with Bournemouth's victory over Fulham Hi, my name is Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic, and I'm excited to talk to you about Club Med. Club Med operates beach and mountain resorts and is the best all-inclusive getaway for families. They have Club Med Punta Cana, their flagship family resort, and many other options in Mexico, the Caribbean, and around the world. Club Med are the pioneers of the all-inclusive concept, which is the best way to vacation. Great for families, groups, or even solo travelers looking for land and water sports, delicious food and a place to make unforgettable memories. Visit clubmed.us, call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. (laughs) 
Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Simon says, just a reminder that seven games ago, Bournemouth were in the relegation zone. They only had three points from their first nine games. They've earned 22 from the following nine. Um, Justin Cliver scored against Fulham, just like his dad did on the 4th of May 2005 for Newcastle. Uh, brilliant run, Barry, from Alex Scott, who was injured, wasn't he, when, at the start of the season. But I think that might be the first sort of football I've seen him play, Alex Scott, because I know he's very high, highly rated at Bristol City. I never really saw him play and he looked tremendous there. Yeah, he they bought him and was a Tyler Adams. They bought both of them mm. knowing they were injured. Um, I think, I'm not sure if Tyler Adams has put in an appearance yet, but Scott, he's. I think it, that was his sixth or seventh game for them. And yeah, he looked hugely impressive. For the first goal, he went on a sort of run from midfield, took on and beat two or three Fulham players before playing the ball wide to Clivert. And he scored. Uh, Bert Leno, who I suspect we'll also be talking about later, should have done better there. And, uh, yeah, he was good in defence, good in attack, and uh, looks like he'd be a real asset to them. The third goal, Lars, was quite something from Sinistera because he's not even running there's no he's he's running totally perpendicular to sort of get the power to kick it in that direction it's really impressive yeah and it's so easy for it to just kind of slide off your foot a couple of millimetres and then you'll shank it way way into the stands so you know brilliant he's, he's a good player Sinister. I've been a little bit surprised that he hasn't played more because I always thought he looked sharp when he, he was at Leeds but, but I mean there are there are good players in this Bournemouth team, and I think we should t- take a moment to, to credit the the chairman, uh, Bill Foley, the American gentleman, for, for not firing Irola earlier. I think there's a lot of uh, club owners in this division who would have freaked out and, and gotten rid of Irola after the start he had, but he's kind of kept faith with them, and the players seem to have... Uh, I mean, Irola said after the game that there's not one big thing that's changed. There's just a lot of little things and they've gotten to know each other a bit better and stuff. And that that, that seems to make sense. Um, it, it's it's working very well now. And, and now that they made it through that sort of very difficult first spell when it just wasn't happening for them, the future looks kind of exciting for this team because a lot of the players they brought in are on the young side. I mean, you mentioned uh, Alex Scott, who's like 20. You got Zabarny in midfield, the, the, in, in defense, the Ukrainian defender, he's 21. And, you know, Watra is, is 21 as well, I think. A lot of the guys they brought in are, are on the young side. So now that the system is kind of clicking a little bit and they're feeling confident, you know, this, I'm, I'm kind of excited about, about yeah. the future for this team. Yeah, and Semenya looks great as well. But is the sky the limit? Paul, what's the limit? Ninth? What's the limit for Bournemouth? Could they could they win the Everton Cup? Asked Ricky. Could they get seventh? Before every time I do a pod, I'm going. Today is the day I'm not going to be suckered into making any predictions, which I always end up doing. <laughs> they never come off, and I'm a fool, absolute fool. Um, no, I don't think they. Well, let's say I don't think they will. I, I think their their results of late have been incredibly impressive, and yeah, the the the, the way in which they've got a number of players behind Solanke who just want to go at you. Things very exciting to watch. But I don't think the calibre of opposition has been that great in this run of matches either. And they've got some tougher fixtures coming up. So we'll, 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 we'll see after that. I mean, but, you know, it, I think uh, that top half, the top half is very strong, very strong. Um, I, I think finishing 11th or 12th would be good showing for, for, for Bournemouth. Bernd Leno could face retrospective action from the Football Association after shoving a ball boy in the defeat at Bournemouth. 
Um, he'd already been booked, but he avoided a red card. Um, uh, Marco Silva believed the ball boys were purposefully delaying the game. And uh, Well, isn't that what ball boys do? They delay well, the game when their team is winning and they speed it up when their team is losing. It's it's hardly the revelation of the century that Bournemouth have, have come up with this amazing tactic of <laughs> using ball boys to slow the game down. Uh, Tim Robinson, the referee, asked for the ball boys to stand down from duty, resulting in the absence of the multi-ball system for the final stages of the game, which presumably doesn't help Fulham at all. They want as many balls close to the pitch as possible. Um, the Premier League confirmed that the multi-ball system was withdrawn on the 79th <laughs> minute. Um, uh, Jose has used ball boys to deliver notes and hold balls on a number of occasions with the reward of inviting them to dinner with the players. Marco Silva on this Burnt Leno moment says he touched the ball boy. He didn't push the ball boy. They are different things. I'm not English, but I know the difference between one word and the other. We have to say the truth. Um, on the Eden Hazard scale, Lars, where was this? Where would you put this assault, this vicious assault? I mean, very low. I, I, I read about this on sort of social media before I actually saw the incident. So I was expecting... Well, I was expecting a push because that's what people said, but it didn't really push him. Really, there was a there was a sort of a, a bit of a goalkeeping glove to chest movement there. That was sort of maybe ideally shouldn't happen, but I mean, honestly, I I can't believe this has become a thing of any sort of thing. I mean, it, this is where the ball boy I think showed uh, a bit of. Uh, you know, lack of experience. Because if he was a player, he would have gone down there. I mean, I think most Premier League forwards <laughs> feeling the hand to the chest there would have flipped over and rolled around quite a lot. and just Holding sort of, his face. Called, yeah, 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 called for their mommies as they're prone to do. But the ball boy in question, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was quick enough to withhold the ball, but he didn't quite, you know. This is why the next step for the ball boys, if they're going to antagonize the opponents, they also have to be ready to milk it uh, if there's any contact. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just, you know, he looks like a, uh, you know, a sweet young chap. He's got an excellent head of hair. The, uh, Leno hugged him shortly afterwards. So, you know. I, I presume in about 10 years he'll be playing for Bournemouth and, and then there'll be clips harking back to that time he was viciously assaulted by yeah. Leno. Um, anyway, we we do hope he and everyone is okay. You can imagine the fans, you know, not one of our own, getting absolutely <laughs> furious about it, going, how dare you do this? But, you know, I guess... Adults shouldn't go around pushing children at any level, should they? Uh, we're probably obliged to say what, that. What if they're point. on a swing and it's your child? Well, a loophole. Loophole. That is a loophole. I mean, this bull boy was not on a swing and it was not the son of Burnt Leno. So, well, not that I know of. It would be good if all the ball boys had swings just to help them pass the time. It's all around the pitch. They could have, couldn't have a swing. But you see, this is why VAR is the mess it is, Max, because you've just gone, you know, oh, well, adults shouldn't push children. And I've immediately, without, you know, I didn't even have to think about it, come up with a, a flaw in your plan. No, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, if all ball boys were on swings, it'd be hard if you sat in the first two or three rows, of course. But they could, if they got it right, catch the ball and on the way on the way up and then on the way back, throw it back onto the pitch. You know, that could that could speed things up even more. Or if young Ian Rushton is in his go-kart and wants to be taken for a walk to the park, you say to um to the current Mrs. Rushton, I'm oh, sorry, I can't do it. I'm not allowed to push. Push yeah. small children. It's no, frowned upon. It's, 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 you've it's, made a very good point. It's a yellow card in football. 
I'll be a hypocrite. I've already told Bert Leno off. I can no longer push young Ian on his tricycle uh, to the Merry Creek. Um, Wolves 2, Chelsea 1, which is on Christmas Eve. So obviously it feels like months ago. I mean, Chelsea had a lot of chances, didn't they? <laughs> Raheem Sterling's got to cross square that one. That's even worse than a Langer to Wood. Was it Cole Palmer who was next to him? I, I, mean, I don't know. It wasn't. Who was it? I'll be honest, Max. I watched this match. It was two days ago. I literally cannot remember a single <laughs> thing about it. I, I'm, I don't think I was drunk. Um, <laughs> but... It was Christmas Eve, so there's a good chance I'd had a few. But I've seen so much football on Boxing Day slash Stevens Day that, yeah, everything that happened before it has just vanished from my mind. You make a good point. I mean, I I, I had actually forgotten Wolves won. Yeah. (laughs) I I can't remember. I can remember Nkunku's goal. (laughs) I can't. I can't recall. I can remember Matt Doherty's goal, actually. It came back to me, didn't he? So I put it in. I can't remember Lamina's last or Paul. One of you, can you help furnish the listeners? They do come here for some insight, not two middle-aged men. We're talking about ball boys on swings. Yeah, no, it, yeah. it was... Um, I just had this... I, I saw this, and again, very much like Barry, it went in one ear and out the other, but I just kind of mentally pegged this as yet another game in which Chelsea have good moments. You know, occasionally they move the bell, ball well and get into good positions and then they make terrible decisions in those positions and they don't score goals from the situations they should score goals from and then they're not super reliable down the other end and so they didn't win the game. I mean, this seems to be what happens with Chelsea so often this season and and maybe for them the sort of ray of hope here is that Nkunku came on, he got his uh, he got his goal and maybe he's the one who will transform that attack but it just seemed to be more of the same for Chelsea and uh, just so so Gary O'Neill and Wolves don't get annoyed with us we should give them credit for continuing uh, to do better than the haters and the losers such as myself thought that they would uh, this uh, season uh, well done to Wolves Yeah and that's true Paul, I mean they've beaten Tottenham at home they've beaten Man City at home, they've now beaten Chelsea at home um, I mean I I don't know if Chelsea are good enough to be counted in the kind of they've beaten good teams at home, but it still feels you sort of duty bound to say they are. So that is, you know, that is credit worthy for Gary O'Neill, especially after a disappointing previous game, I think, against West Ham. Yeah, I think there is there is there is a thing about them that that, that kind of because they're not a bunch of exhibitionists, uh, the walls can blur into the background a little bit, I think. Um but no two ways about it. They're doing very well. Um, I, I think. I think the Wolves haven't spent a lot of money in the transfer market over the past few seasons, but I do kind of think they're for all the uh, way in which this has killed what was good about football, and that you know every club was independent and allowed to make its own dreadful transfers decisions. But Wolves have subsequently hired out of Jorge Mendes. Um, people bemoan that and mourn the loss of the innocent days of yore. But I think he's done a reasonable job of bringing in players for them at the same time. Certainly most of the 75 to 80% of the Portugueses who are called Mario or Joao done well for them, I think. Um, and still got players like Sarabia in, the, in and around the team who are proper, you know, elite level players and can find those little moments that can help to um, decide games against teams who, you know, is the Chelsea is the Chelsea first eleven much stronger than the the Wolves first eleven? I, 
probably, but certainly not enacting it on the pitch. So, you know, the Wolves have got enough about them that they can make, they make it a game of tight margins and they can sometimes flip them in their, in their direction. So, yeah, more power to them. Um, thank you, Paul and Lars, for rescuing us. Did, did we, though? That particular Hot football Wolves match. chat. Yeah, I enjoyed Mark saying, yeah, when Mark says, when do the pundits eventually admit they collectively fell for the Pochettino Emperor's New Cloths fallacy? Um, <laughs> I enjoyed the typo. I guess I just presumed he would, you know, there's still time. They might not have Europe next year. Then suddenly, not they, they don't have it this year, do they? But anyway, <laughs> I feel like this pod is meandering to an end in the very much feeling like it between Christmas and New Year. It's the seasonal effect. <laughs> it really is. Um, uh, our mate, Sani Rudravadula, says honourable mention for the first Boxing Day game at Gig Lane since 2017 would be grand. And a win too, a local derby with Prestwich, which is in Bury, is a long way down from derby days of old, but we'll take it a 2-0 win. Pete says, I thought you might like to know that in the Cathedral Classico between Salisbury and Winchester today, we had two outfield players in goal, an injury in the warm-up and a red card after 55 minutes meant that for 90 and 35 minutes respectively, there was no real keepers involved. That is great, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and Simon says the mother-in-law is taking the whole family on a cruise to the Norwegian fjords for Christmas. Has Lars got any recommendations on things to do? Just, I mean, enjoy yourself, watch the nature, all that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't know exactly where you'll be stopping. Can you DM me instead? Because I don't. it's a very long stretch of country. I don't, are you going to Bergen? Are you going to, like, what, what's happening here? <laughs> but just generally. Just give us, come on, all we want is the classic, what do we do if we're at a fjord? Just wrap up well and eat some herring. Yeah. Yeah, you look at the fjord and eat some fish. Can't go wrong. Okay, there you go. Look at the fjord and eat some fish. Uh, I would watch a travel show with you, Lars. Eating fish and looking at fjords, yeah. We pitch that to someone. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, Paul. No, thank you, Max. Pleasure. Uh, happy Christmas. Thanks, Baz. Thank you. Thanks, Lars. Thank you, Max. And Football Weekly is produced by Silas Gray. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. We'll be back on Friday. This is The Guardian.